Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 151 of Control the Controllables. And I want to start off by thanking everyone that entered our 150th podcast giveaway over the last couple of weeks. We have spun the wheel earlier today. We do have the video, if anyone wants to see that we've been doing it the right way. And our winner of a free access week at Soto Tennis Academy is Rosemary O'Hara. A big congratulations to you, Rosemary. The team at Soto Tennis Academy will be in touch with you over the next couple of days so that we can set up your access week out in Soto Grande. We'll make sure that the sun is waiting and lots of brilliant tennis as well. And to the rest of you, hey, you've got to be in it to win it. Look out for our giveaways that will be coming in future. It's worth a big value and we love building these relationships with the guys that come and see us at the academy. But now to today's episode and someone that is very well qualified to be giving us all lots of brilliant advice help your kid to just differentiate between winning is good and and losing you know like something's gone wrong like you can lose and do everything right you know like if you're trying to get better as a as a player just have the process goals as the biggest thing and just tick them off and that is former british tennis player dan smethurst who was a serial winner on the itf futures circuit Back in the day, he took his tennis to Wimbledon as a wild card, as a British tennis player. And then he moved on in and into the coaching world, where he's worked with lots of top British players, including being a big part of Team Joe Conta over the last few years before she recently retired. And Dan also, his, his father, Nigel, was anyone that knows British tennis will know Nigel as the physio that goes around all of the professional and junior tournaments and has given so much to the game over the last few years. And as I say, I do believe this qualifies Dan to to have an insight through many different lenses. And I loved the conversation. We go down a few little rabbit holes, which I hope that you will enjoy. And once again, I think he's a brilliant guest. So sit back and enjoy Dan Smethurst. So, Dan Smevhurst, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Real pleasure. I've listened to a lot of these, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, look, Smevy, it's, uh, it is an honour. When, when I hear that, and, and a few people have said it, and when I first hear it, I'm like, come on, there's no way... There's no way anyone's listening to these. But when, when, when that comes across, and now you get to see that it's just... A couple of guys sat sat in their living rooms, you know, have, having a bit of open, honest tennis chat. You know, I'm sure there's lots we're going to get into. 
But I, I guess as the starting point, as always with these podcasts, I think it, it always intrigues me how, how that bud started. You know, how does the tennis bug start in your head? When did, when did that begin and what was your memories of that? I'm, my started probably like everyone else started, doesn't it? Parents really are kind of like into it. Um, my dad liked tennis and he coached like a little bit just at like local clubs. Um, and then I loved sport. So from Manchester, loved football, like just loved it and then loved anything competitive. Um, and then just started going with him to like local clubs. He gave a few lessons. And then, yeah, I think it just kind of happened, to be honest. Like it was good fun. Local clubs, a lot of kids around. You get like friends with some like other kids and then you start going like, you know, you want to socialize there a little bit and then, and then it, and then you just turn out you're a bit, you're all right at tennis. So it goes a bit further and then you get a bit better and it goes a bit further again, doesn't it? It was quite yeah. organic, really. But it started again. The, the th thing that gets me there with that is it started with, okay, your dad wasn't a professional tennis coach as such, but he was doing a bit of coaching. Do you think if you didn't have a parent or if you don't have a parent that almost, like you said, organically fits into the life. Do you think, how, I guess that ask that a little bit of a different way. How do we then get people into tennis? Because it seems like we're, there's a filter that brings yeah. people into tennis naturally, but yeah. maybe there's not, there's not a way of getting people in or attracting people in that don't happen to have a parent that is organically down a tennis club. Yeah. I think it's, it's nails to, to get them in if like the parent or someone they know isn't involved in tennis. But you see, I feel like you see that a lot in other countries that that is how it happens though. It is quite organic with a lot of these people. Like they, they have a lot of clubs, you know, it takes like Germany, Italy. It just feels like their parents play. Then they get a bit older, the kids play. And then it is this kind of like cyclical thing that comes around and maybe it's a bit more accessible in in some ways that, than it is in uh, than it is in the UK. Sometimes it's it's middle class. It's quite expensive, isn't it? Really, um, but it is a natural. I think I think the best way is is to to have a natural kind of like yeah organic way. It seems to it seems to work in other countries. I suppose you just need more and more people playing. Yeah, um, which is difficult because we've got such big sports here, haven't we? With football and everything like that, it's it's tricky. But I mean, it's a great sport. Also, it's, it's, it's tricky for kids, isn't it? I mean, it's such a difficult sport that you don't pick it up and it's not, you can't have a rally straight away. So it's not, it's like instant gratification doesn't come. So then you've got, I don't know, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. And also you, you don't necessarily play in big groups. You know, you yeah. turn, I guess you turn up to a, to football, there's about 15 of you, 20 of you, you've probably got three, four, five mates that, that, in that in that regard. So that makes me also think, though, because a lad from Manchester, you know, yeah. football, especially a club like Manchester City, obviously massive in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's and, funny how you asked me on just when Newcastle get loads of money, <laughs> isn't it? 
It's so weird. <laughs> I've been, I've been okay. holding back. I've been holding back for that. I've been waiting a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but uh, but coming from Manchester, you mentioned football. You liked football. You're a, a competitive sporting lad. You know you can. You know, I I saw that with you around when you were younger, when you're at tournaments. You know, you can see that the players that have that, they just like sport. You know, they want to talk about football. Yeah. They want to talk about all of those different things. So, so what was it that got you to tennis over football as well? Or were you just not very good at football? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> honestly, like, I think I was just quite good at tennis quite younger. Like, I don't know if you remember, like, I was actually quite good from, like, seven or eight years old. I was already, like, went to tournaments in, like, Europe. Like, you know, like, the under-10 ones or the under-11. I was already, like, yeah. finals and winning them. So, I, I think it just kind of, like, happened, to be yeah. honest. Like, if I was... I did love football, but I was, like, starting to come out of school to play tennis and stuff like that quite young. And, like, Chris Pete, who was, like, the county coach at the time, started, like scouted me and started working with me at like seven years old so it got pretty serious pretty quick in terms of how and then I just loved it at that age like proper loved it like loved playing the tournaments loved like getting tasks like given by Chris like to come back and do them I don't know like it was something like a structured or do it and I was like yeah I was all over it at that age yeah 100 percent and, and that age again for for those, for those listening. So, I'm sure you've heard it was like the the three Dans, wasn't it? At that sort of that sort of period, and in in the northwest of England, there was also Dan Cox. Yeah, you know, you know that came over to Bolton with you at quite a young age. Is that correct? Is well, that my memory. He was yeah, I mean, he definitely he did move to Bolton for a little bit because he thought that. You know, I was a bit better than him at that time, I think. So he was like, oh, we'll go to Bolton. So that was the magic dust. That was the magic magic dust. dust. And then, you know, and then he got more attention than me. It all went to, it all went to Potford. (laughs) (laughs) No, he was there for a little Was that your big rival? Was Dan Cox your big rival? He was at like, honestly, like 9, 10, 11. Yeah, 100%. And then Evo just kind of snuck in, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Got really good. <laughs> and how much? Because I, I, I have a vague memory of it, but that was at the time. I remember someone saying, "Oh, there's these two boys are great." You know, the two Dan's, Dan, Dan Smethers, Dan Cox. And that was when I mean, there was better players than myself training at Bolton. But you know, David Sherwood, Johnny Murray, yeah. Andrew Banks, you know, Richard Crabtree, Justin Lane, Jason yeah. Torpy. There was a big thing going on at Bolton. Do you have a memory of that? Do you 100%. think that, right? Okay, and what and what impact do you think that had? Having, I guess, players not that we were great people to look up to, maybe, but having players that were playing on the pro tour, playing grand slams that were on your doorstep and in your day to day world, what impact do you think that had on you? Yeah, I remember it. I remember it being really good. I mean, I couldn't believe I was getting to hit. I was honestly getting to hit with some of you guys sometimes. Yeah. I was so young. I'm, I remember thinking like, surely they're not going to let me hit. Like, even, like, but they did. You must have been so annoyed. I'm probably beating <laughs> us. Yeah. I was like, oh. But yeah, I mean, it was an unbelievable lucky kind of situation to be in. And it kind of fell in. I mean, we, was it with Jim Edgar that yep. you went there when it just kind of like opened 
Yeah. And then, um, yeah, Justin Lane, like you say, he was kind of like, was he coaching and playing-ish? So he played and then he started doing some fitness coaching. Yeah. And there was there was a big group. And actually, unfortunately, there was at that time. So it just happened that a few of us started to win some futures and do okay. So they actually came and took myself, David Sherwood, Andrew Banks and, and Johnny Murray and and took us down to to Queens Club. Queens, right? When yeah. when it when it, it was it was working, and they, and they made it quite a challenge at that time for us to stay in Bolton. Yeah, the best way to get to a tennis player is through the through their wallet, you know. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. so the yeah. so the wallet was attacked, and I think it kind of went downhill a little bit then after those players. But it was certainly for a kind of 12, 18 month period, it was the place to be, you know. And yeah. we had a there was a real, uh, like I would call it, a, there was a team, and I think it's quite hard to get a team in tennis. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know. So having that, having that team working together, and I guess you, you, you on the outskirts of that as a youngster, it's obviously a, a good introduction to it. You know, no, hundred percent. Yeah, I remember like that that time. I was lucky because I was working with like Chris P and then Nick Lawrence. Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, very well. So I had those two. And it was just an unbelievable kind of like setup. Yeah. Um, and then I got the chance to go to like one of the academies in Loughborough. I don't think I went first. Um, and then, and then just like, like you say, kind of like after you guys left, I think it kind of the setup of everything. And then suddenly like my structure in the, uh, in the program wasn't great. And then I properly got left behind actually by the other kids. I went from like being really, really good. So like fifth in the age group pretty quick in a matter of like year or two. And then I end up going to like Loughborough after that. So a bit of a discussion point here, I think is, and I was speaking, I've spoke, I speak to a lot of, a lot of people obviously on the podcast, but I also have a lot of conversations, whether it's in Spain or whether it's, whether it's at tournaments, there's consistently been this situation where, when something is working, I guess the latest one is obviously Emma Raducanu. I'm not close to it. I can't have a big comment on it, but something's working. You don't change it. You know, I would, you know, in terms of, you know, you might scrutinize it, but time and time yeah. and time again, it's been something that has happened. And it almost feels as if there's a hierarchy. It's like, you you can do a really good job with this young kid until they're 12 but when yeah. they turn 13 no way you are yeah. not the 13 year old coach and and this person now is the 13 year old coach and i don't believe that's necessarily a global thing you know because i've no. i've spoken a lot around that so so when you look back at your time do you think it was the best thing at the time for you to to leave home and go to loughborough yeah do, yeah, I yeah, well, yeah, it was. There's no doubt. It was the right time for me. Like, it was 100%. A little bit of, you know, especially like, you know, family stuff, kind of like sometimes it's good to kind of have a bit of space um, from that. And I think that helped me a little bit. I was lucky because Mark Taylor was there and Leighton Alfred at the time that were massive influences on me. I'm not saying the academy system works 100, you know, like everything like that, but that coach at that time yeah. and then lucky enough to have Matt Little there at the time and I was really unfit and then I had three or four years with 
those, I think I got very lucky in that period because that was 100% the right thing. I, I, I could have stopped like playing if, it, if I didn't go there and didn't like it. Like I was on the borderline of like, like I've already nearly had my fill and like that, that brought a lot of love back even at that young age, because that's the thing, that's the problem with tennis, man. It gets intense too quick sometimes. I was almost, honestly, not playing, and I was like 13 years old. And I, that, it's Sometimes it's too much, isn't it? I think it's... It can be, yeah. I think, yeah, it can be, you know? like, And I think just being around like other kids constantly, I think it helps in that situation. You know what you're saying before about it's quite secluded. I think, like, you know... Going, going to trips together as more team events as youngsters would be so much more healthier than than just having it all solo from such a young age. But, I mean, I know and, and when you said, Smevy, about it was too much with the family, was it, were you, did you have pressure on you from, from parents? Was there, was there relationships that, you know, you felt? Yeah, intensity. It's an intensity, you know, like comes and it's, it's through like, you know, me and my, my parents and my, it was more my, you know, the dad at that age, like we have such a good relationship, but at that time they think it's, they're trying to help so yeah. much and they, they, they're doing everything they can to help their child. So it's not in a bad way at all, but they don't feel because who's done it before. It's their first time as well, but they're, they're the intensity is like so strong on a child, you know, and they don't know it. They're just trying to help their child. So it's a difficult one. It's such a difficult one to, as a parent, I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine how difficult it is, to be honest. Well, I think it's uh, the one, I mean, I obviously have it myself because I'm now, I was telling you off air, obviously I'm an academy director. I'm a tennis coach. I've, I guess, been through it as a, as a player and also yeah. to a, a decent level as a coach. So, so sometimes you know too much as well in some ways, but then, the feeling that you do get, and I've got all the perspective in the world on my for my children with regards to tennis, but you do get an intense feeling when you're watching them, because especially yeah. when they're in a they're in a tight moment, or you you're worried about how they're going to behave, are they going to perform to how you know they can, or how they're going to how they're feeling, you know, all of these things. So when they come off the court, the natural reaction as a parent is to get out what you want to say. Right. Because you've, you've, you've almost been watching going, well, they're not doing that and they're not doing that. And that worked when they did that. So, so I'm now I'm helping them if I just tell them. Yeah. It, it, whereas, which I really try not to, you know, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And the other one is when they're in the car journeys, I always think yeah. the, the classic is the car journey. And it's like, how do you make, and I really consciously try and do this when it's been a difficult match and there's, there's that, and maybe lost a match and not performed or maybe not behaved right. How do you make that car journey fun? Yeah. Right. So yeah. that the player doesn't associate yes. a bad performance with a, with a, with a miserable, yeah. yeah it, it can 100%. have such, it, it can have such, or, or when you win, we're, yeah. off to, we're off to McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. Woo! You know, 100%. and it's like... And, and it is a strong connection, isn't it? I think, every, you know, you speak to so many tennis players and self-esteem and winning is so intertwined. 
And I think it is because of the young age, you know, like it's so serious, so quick. And I think if you can somehow, you know, like exactly like you're doing, separate the two and then, you know, then it's easier when you get older, if you want to keep playing or just in general, like winning and say, you know, it's not just about tennis, is it? Just general life and living is not combined with winning at things or doing this or doing that or it shouldn't be, you know, yeah. fully anyway. So if you were to give the listeners one learning, and this might be from a, a, a playing perspective, a coaching perspective, or a parental perspective, what would your number one bit of advice be in those kind of years of 8 to 14? Listen, it's a difficult one because tennis, you can't say don't do anything and like don't because kids are playing so much, but it's just help your like help your kid to just differentiate between winning is good and, and losing, you know, like something's gone wrong. Like you can lose and do everything right. You know, like if you're trying to get better as a as a player, just have the process goals like as the biggest thing and just tick them off. So like if you're going to analyze anything, just have like, did you have, did you try, did, you know, whatever your, the things are, but have like that, that's how, what you hold yourself to. And if you do them, you know, like rather than the winning and the losing, you know, it's just too much for a kid so young. So just have different things that is not the result as the thing. If you're going to talk about anything, talk about those. Nice. What, that's one thing I say. Yeah, no, nice, nice advice. So you won very early. You dropped slightly. I mean, one to five is not a massive drop. So you have no, exactly... but I was like one by a long way. Right. Know? Okay. So, <laughs> no, so, it so it felt like it. it felt, so basically, we're talking like a massive drop. <laughs> so like a Man United type drop. Yeah, it's it, honestly. So I think someone said that the other day. It reminds me of you when you were ten. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so for Man United fans, by the way, if you haven't picked up yet, Dan is a big Man United fan. But if you if you are a Man United fan, there's still hope, guys, because Dan managed to get back onto onto the straight and narrow and start to yeah. win again. Because you ended up as top thirty in the world junior, I believe. You know, so you you went yeah, on somehow. A, yeah, really? So what? So what do you mean by somehow? What? It I honestly because because like June, I, I honestly played bad. Well, not played bad, but I wasn't that good, and I had like two good results in in a year, and that's because it's six results as a junior. You're like top thirty, but to be honest, I was average a lot in that right, year, okay. and I had one like win on a grade one and one final of Roehampton. So I suppose some level was in there, but the consistency was. Was nowhere near. But is that not tennis to a degree? I mean, even and I, I, I talk about Raducanu again, just because it jumped to my head. She won the U.S. Open, and she's not done a whole lot else. She's thirteen mm. in the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and 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 I guess when you, I remember Johnny Murray, like Johnny. I was living with Johnny at the time, and he would like lose first round for three, four months. And then he would always have this two-month period where nobody could get a passing shot past him. You know, like he just added a little bit extra to his chip and charge slice. And he would, especially if they were Russians, Russians couldn't beat him. But, right. he, would, but he would go like and have 
six or seven really good tournaments every, for two months every year, and his ranking would hang around 200, you know, right. because of that. So I, I guess you maybe downplaying it a little bit. You you have to be a good tennis player if you if you're winning grade ones or going deep into grade ones and and being a Grand Slam junior player. Yeah, I mean, there probably was some good tennis in there, but I remember some matches that were so bad. Right, it was okay. unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I played, um, I feel like I got a lot better the first year out of juniors, is why I say that. Like, a lot better. Like, straight out of it. Like, it was a different, yeah, I, was, I had a big jump the first year out. I went, I think I was like 300 and. 350 by I was 19 you know the first year out or like first year and a bit out compared to some of the tennis I was playing in juniors that's why I look at it thinking bloody hell you know the level wasn't great there why why such a jump any 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 reflections on that you know I was trying man like I was trying hard I had a little yeah a little bit of a, a moment where things clicked um I changed, I had a good change in racket where I was a bit of a junior racket. I played with what I got as a sponsor. Um, I actually changed racket and I couldn't believe the difference that that made at one point. Like it was quite unbelievable. I must have been playing with a, an absolute, I might have been playing with a wooden bat. Like honestly, it was that much of a difference. Um, and as soon as I changed racket, my results went yeah. crazy good. That, that was a big thing. It was weird. But equipment obviously is important. And as a junior, I think when you get sponsored, you're so happy to actually get whatever you're given. <laughs> and then I never tried any rackets out. And then I tried a different racket. And I was like, I won't name the racket I was using, but it was awful. If it's, awful. The, same, if it's the same one that I, because I was, again, I'll maybe not name the rackets, but I used a, a bit of an old, older racket that I'd had. I'd used it in the juniors and at US College. And oh my, I just I, I loved it. And then they actually went out of existence. This particular racket, not the brand. So again, ego took over, and company came in, offered me uh, a, a deal, not to be paid any money, but just to be given some rackets. Yeah. So loving that, I was loving it, and and I'm, it was like a cricket bat. Right. <laughs> and and I actually reflected a few years later, and I mean on the doubles court, but on the singles court, I'd gone, I'd won one futures. And something like seven, seven doubles futures in out of the last ten tournaments, and then when this new racket I used for six months, I didn't win one tournament or get close to winning one tournament, and then I won. Then I changed, and I actually just not long before Wimbledon, I actually went onto eBay, right, and and found three of my old rackets on eBay, that because it wasn't being made anymore, and bought yeah. them on it, bought them on eBay, and you won Wimbledon. And didn't, didn't, didn't it, no. the racket wasn't that good. Um, <laughs> unfor unfortunately, unfortunately, that was the best story ever. Though. I was, I've, uh, I, I kept looking on eBay to see if I could get one of those ones that would win Wimbledon for me, <laughs> but, it, but it never worked. But Johnny Murray's got a couple of them, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But all, all about the racket, but it was something like 11 out of 14 tournaments and doubles were won after it, so it right. makes it makes a monumental difference mentally more than anything else but i'm not i'm not letting you have that as being the only thing so was it that in juniors you were protecting a ranking you were protecting a place and maybe playing a little bit in that way and then all of a sudden you you broke free and were able to start actually expressing yourself a bit more on court was there anything to do with that 
Yeah, I, I think I think I was like I think probably a little bit of maturity in that time. There was probably some good tennis in there, but I was very too tense in juniors to actually express any any of it. And then I I kind of liked the you know it's sort of, for some people it's difficult the the transition from juniors to seniors, but for me I, I don't know I felt a bit freer I think playing playing the seniors just oh you have a good crack and then it. And then I realised that I wasn't because we've been working hard, like the physical stuff. Especially when we went to NTC at like seventeen, like the the fitness was like we were we were we were getting put through the paces. And I think we were ready physically to like to win matches when the tennis was ready. Yeah. And, and I think, um, and I think that came a little bit, you know, um, when I was like nineteen, twenty, I had a nice little. Nice run up there a little bit, and was and was US college ever an option for you? You know, I honestly, you know, because I, I thought at that age for me, uh, still, I thought it was retiring going to US college. That that's there was no info really. You know, unless you kind of like knew someone who'd gone yep. or something like that. I honestly thought like I thought I was like, well, I'm just going to retire. Aren't I? I just go to college and. I had no information that that was a good route because now I honestly, like, I think there's, you know, scenarios you got to watch out for, but I am a, I am a good big fan of the U S system. hundred percent. I am, you know, like if you're, unless you've, unless you've got a big technical change to make where I don't think you're going to go there and that's going to happen because they're obviously quite heavy on results, you know, not, not, but you know, it's going to be difficult to make a, a big technical change when you're there, I think. Um, but if you're there, like you're pretty technically sound and you can just go there and mature and develop and physically mature. Like it's such a good system. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously you, you went, didn't you? So you must feel that. But well, I do, but, it, but I, I guess where I think it's done a little bit of a full circle. I think it's, it's, it's about the individual and I know it's a little bit cliche, but it is. You know, right. because because I think, as with anything, I guess working in a team, uh, having having a group of lads to travel with works for some people. You know, it wouldn't have worked for Kyle Edmund. You right. know, having you know college college, I think works for works for certain people. Certain people might go off the rails or, right. or, or feel. Well, would they have like, gone off the rails anyway? Yeah, That's well, well, well maybe. I think it all it all depends. I think it depends on financial situation. You know, if you're, yeah. I think if you're, the, I guess the rule I almost have in my head, if you're, if you're not playing to the tennis of going to semis and further in futures to pretty much the tournaments you're playing. So if you're a semis and further futures player, you're probably around 500 and 600 in the world at least. If you're yeah. not of that level or you don't have significant financial backing to do it properly and yeah. to be spending time on the road with coaches, you know, having, having your, having your coach, then 100% American university is the right route in my opinion. Yeah. Because if you're in a situation where it's like me calling you up and saying, Dan, do you want to have a hit tomorrow? I mean, there's 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 people trying to play professional tennis that are trying to arrange hits, right? On a day to day basis, you know. They, 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 so so if you're if you're in that situation, then absolutely U.S. college U.S. college is is the way forward. But I think it's 
it's quite eye-opening to me because I'm almost 10 years older than you. It felt like that when I went, but it's amazing that 10 years on, it still felt like that. Whereas now I, I do worry yeah. now that almost everyone's just going. Okay. Oh, just just off you go. Yeah. Everyone at yeah, uh, yeah, US yeah, College, yeah. rather than being a little bit more selective on what is right for yeah. for, for for the person. Um, but without but, question, it's an amazing, yeah. it's an amazing thing. And I think like that, you know, from I, I don't know so much about it, but I feel like the LTA are doing maybe a bit of a better job to learn the coaches a they bit are. more. You know, like that's what it feels like from the outside. Like they're learning, okay, that coach is good that will work with that person. Cause I always thought that was the key as well. You know, you can't just send them off, like start to know the coaches. I, I mean, like I say to me, I mean, I'm not on the inside, but it does feel like they're doing that a little bit better now. I, I always think the Federation should even place a coach or two at a school. Like if like you, an insider. Well, yeah. But if you, <laughs> let's say, let's say someone like yourself, let's say someone like who they trust can develop develop a, a young a young player in the age of 18 to 22 now get you to be apply right and, and work with the university for you to be the the head coach of the university of I'll not even say a real one the university of wherever now if they did that what they would have is they would have in on the men's side they would have four and a half scholarships every year to yeah. give and and you're the you're the coach who's head coach. Now you want to get the best players. It's legal because you would be going, well, I'll have the four or five best British juniors every year. Then you're, you're doing amazing. So you're keeping your job, you know, and then and the team. Now your plan's out there, Dan. Well, it's, well, hey, by the way, Dan, Smever, Dan Smevers doesn't have a degree, I don't think. So he can't do it. But, but Dan Keenan has a degree, so he. So if anyone's listening and wants to go ahead, like University of, yeah. you know, UCLA, San Diego, wherever you want me to go, I'm I'm ready to go. But no, I think I think it's I think it's an amazing I think it's an amazing opportunity there for for some federation in in, in and I'm sure there might be reasons why it can't happen. Uh, but I definitely think the the LTA have bought into it. But but back to you, one of the questions I always like to ask you guys was relatively fresh. I know you're coaching now and you've got some good experience there. What's one thing you would change about your pro career? Um, yeah, I would have, I would have taken more risks, you know, at bigger tournaments. I think I got so comfortable playing futures yeah. like, to the point where I really struggled to go to challenges. One, they were, on a bit of a pedestal for me mentally where I thought it was massive change. And two, I got so kind of like comfortable having like one or two warm up matches. Cause that's what it felt like in futures. Like I could go there, grease through a couple and then, and then start playing well. Whereas I think with challenges, like the level's not crazy different, but you do have to play well, but you have, you, you have to put your game out like quick, quicker. And I really struggled to do that, to be honest. And I never learned how to do it. Um, and I think, you know, there's reasons why for sure. But I think if you're forced into the situation, then maybe you learn it quicker. You know, I wish I had not thought so much about like the 250 mark, like, you know, getting Wimbledon and like playing Wimbledon was amazing. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's not what you dream of as a kid getting to 250, is it? So like, I think there was some things around. I just wish I'd have thought bigger, you know, like, 
take had a bit more perspective, had a bit more distance um, in terms of like six months down the line. So I, I don't think it would have maybe just made my whole outlook on my game a bit longer term rather than shorter term. Um, that's definitely one thing. I think that's a great, great answer. Like really, really good. I think, I think there's there's a lot of learnings in that one answer that you've given Smevy, and because if we take the facts, you, you, I'm gonna actually I'm not gonna tell you how many. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you that in a quiz in a minute. But in terms of, in terms of what you're saying around the two fifty mark, I I'm a firm believer, and I've expressed it on the podcast many times in the most respectful way that I ever could about Wimbledon, which is the greatest sporting event in the world for me. I personally believe it's fundamentally bad for British tennis in, in, in the level of player development. Not, not, it's not bad for British tennis in terms of the exposure, in terms of the money, in terms of having this amazing event. But like you, like you've alluded to there, I, I believe British tennis players in the most part over the last 30 years have set boundaries and ceilings for themselves based on, and I certainly, I 100% did it. 100%. Right, yeah. 100%. I had to be 150 to get into doubles. Yeah. I, my career high ranking, yeah. my career high ranking was 150. Really? No way. No way. And 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 I and the other thing that I did is I used to look at everyone else's ranking. So if I was top, if I was in the top two or three in Britain, they've got to give me a wild card. Right. They've oh, got to. They've got to. So yeah. and 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 I got I was British number one, two, three, or four for for for, for a couple of years. You know, yeah. and, and I think I think it's human nature that we we tend to reach where we think we're going yeah. to reach. And, and when we're talking about something as amazing as, as tennis and being and, and the margins that come in at those, at those levels, I, I just, I, I think it really does. So I, I, I love that. Absolutely love that because I think there's a big learning. And I think a lot of people, if they're honest, would have a similar answer. There was a time and I remember I, I actually might still have a video. <laughs> I was trying to, we were, um, I was in Sunderland. I guess I was with Lloyd Glasspool maybe. And at that time you, you were hot. You were like on the hot street. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. 2014, maybe. Yes. And, and you were, you were on it. And um, we, at the time I was having big discussions with our fitness coach around warming up for matches. Right. And, um, and he was, into like a real detailed warm up that which which look that I'm not against a real detailed warm up warm up at all but I was trying to show that the realities of some of these guys out there playing and I've got like I had a I took a sneaky video of you I think I was in my car and it was a was freezing day no. and you were, you were like <laughs> you were like running up a hill that okay. by by the car park and doing right. some doing something unbelievably basic but 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 at that point, it looked like you were you just weren't going to lose. You know, you certainly weren't going to lose many many matches at all. You've mentioned, and it makes complete sense about not being brave enough to put yourself into into the challenger arena enough. It's yeah. that same barrier thing. I think a little bit. I've seen it with other players. Where in their head, do I now belong at that next level? Yeah. That aside. 
What do you think is the difference between the levels? It's a little bit of everything, isn't it? When you look at it, I mean, you know, obviously I've been at the moment, I'm like flirting between futures and challenges with uh, AD and McHugh. And if you know, if you take it's less rubbish, to be honest, you know, less rubbish in games, not, I mean, every single level cuts out a little bit more rubbish, if you want to say, and every single level gets a little bit better in terms of behind the serve. I think, like closer to the lines and then behind on the third ball, they're doing more with it, you know, just a little bit more. And on that third ball, they're a little bit close to the baseline. And then they level up, hitting close to the lines again on the serve. And then they're hitting that close to the baseline and a bit more. The ball speed, like, it's pretty, I mean, it's crazy high on the ATP now, like crazy high. Like, but, you know, I was at Loughborough Futures last week and I was interested to see, um, watch some of the qualities and I was like looking I was like the ball speed compared to like five six years ago when I was playing it's gone up like the physicality on the shot no doubt it's gone up but when like I saw where they were touching the ball like they were like quite far back in the court so even though the ball speed had gone up I was like they're still not comfortable to touch it closer to the line to actually do some real damage with the shot and I think yeah so come back to your question I think you know you, you just don't get away with as much you know, at the, at the challenges, you don't get away with as much. You've got to be like more quality more often. And then the higher level goal, it goes like that again, you know. And what about the, because you were, you were in that period of time when it was kind of Andy, Andy was, was not just coming through, Andy had come through, but Andy was kind of sat there on his own. Yeah, you know, as the as the only British top hundred player, and not only was your top hundred player, he was winning Grand Slams, and and I remember at that point reading there was quite a lot of negative energy towards yeah. towards the next group, and you were whether you were British number three, four, five, six, you you were very much in that next group, and I always used to think, well, hold on a minute, it might be that some of these players, they are reaching their potential by being 250 in the world, <laughs> you know, that, and, and they're doing everything they possibly can. How did that feel to be in that, in that sort of group at that time? Do you think that had a, a an effect on you and the yeah, other guys? I do think so. I don't think we got it all right. In all honesty, for, from in every aspect, I think that us as players, like when I look back, um, apart from like, you know, like, we're kind of bringing each other down at points. And I, I, I like not Evo because like Evo was, you know, in and out. And, you know, when he was there, he didn't really. And like not Alex Ward, I think he like put himself. But like there was a couple of others with us. I just honestly, I was like, we're bringing like we're bringing each other down here. You know, like it was almost got to the point where, you know, like as long as you're doing better than them, it didn't matter if you weren't doing well. Like it 100%. Um, and I think the support at the NTC at that point was really poor in terms of without, they didn't, I don't think they meant this, but it was so conditional, you know, like it was so you were doing well. It was like, oh yeah, you know, a lot of attention. And then you'd had a couple of bad weeks and it was like, oh, we need to change everything, you know? And I, I think that we had a lot of good, good coaches, really good coaches. In fact, at that point, all trying their best but the communication between them all like when I look back and I think about how you know I think it was quite poor the fact that you go 
you know, a coach two weeks this one and then two weeks that one and they wouldn't and then you'd be working on different things for the two different weeks. I just the, the whole when I look back at the whole thing, I was like, I wasn't mature enough. That was a big thing as well. Like I was very like closed and singular and this week and this day, but without thinking, does this day marry up to the next day? Am I actually working towards something yep. or am I just working hard every day? And I think that was, you know, so I can definitely, I think I was a big reason why, you know, obviously I didn't go further, but then the whole, yeah, the whole thing without, you know, I don't think anyone had any bad intentions, but I don't think the atmosphere was good to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I was at that point and I, I'd been in Spain for a few years. So I was a coach that I was seeing it from, from an outsider and it never, I never had a great perception of the, that group of British players. You know, it, it felt, but if I go back to my generation, it felt the same. Right. And probably if you go back another generation, yeah. if just and exactly that bringing, just bringing each other down. Yeah. I, don't, I, I just, because I'm around like the, the younger guys at the moment and I don't know, listen, it'll go where it'll go, but I think they've got a much better kind of like atmosphere between them yeah. all than, than we had. When I look at it, I was like, then they're pushing each other forward more than we did. I just feel that. I don't know whether it's, you know, you don't know, but it's from the, from like the outlook of it. So, and it got me thinking about the exact question. I was like, we didn't, we didn't push each other forward, you know, mm. definitely not. And that's what I loved about US college as well, because US college, you had that, you, you would have that natural because you're on the same team. So, yeah. but the, but how powerful that was as well on a daily basis to have people that were, if you had a bad day, I actually spoke to Josh Ward Hibbert on this, and this this story might bring it together better than my story. And obviously, he's playing professional basketball now. Yeah. And and I I spoke to him and I said, look, what you know, how is it, and the differences, and you know, we went for a coffee a couple of years ago, and he said, the big difference is, he said, now, he said, tennis, by the way, is the hardest sport in the world, you know, or certainly harder than than basketball. He said, because when I had a, a good day in tennis, nobody was there to humble me. Right. And when I, so the high was very high, but when I had a bad day, again, no one was there because I'm competing against everyone. The lows were really low. So right. the range was massive, which yeah. I, I can completely go with. Yes. You know, and, and I'm sure you can. He said, whereas in basketball, if I have a really good day, I've got another 10 guys telling me, all right, mate, just chill out. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, keep yeah, feet yeah. on the ground. And if I have a bad day, I've got 10 guys that really bring me up. So, so the, he said the range of yeah. feelings that I have are well, so much, are so much more narrow. Yeah. And that's and healthy really, isn't it? It's gotta be. To it's have got, more it's, balance is so much more healthier than these highs and lows for it, sure. Yeah, It's gotta be. And I think that's, that's something that in our sport, I, I, I believe the losing is the thing that kills people in our sport. And, and that's why, that's why I think so many people will give up and give up and be quite cynical about it. So if we jump ahead to you now as a coach, Dealing yeah. with dealing with a player, you know, obviously you you've high profile spent time with Joe Conta, which we'll we'll get onto working with AD McHugh right now. You worked at worked at Bath, you know, you've been around players now for a few years. How do you as a coach help a player when they are having 
not just a down day, but they've lost two, three first rounds. You know, what sort of techniques and how have you used your experience to, to help them? Yeah, it's like you say, isn't it? It's just zooming out, like getting perspective on situations that you're going to be in tough moments and tough moments come and tough moments go and good moments come and good moments come, like go, you know? So like getting stuck, you know, ruminating on, on certain feelings or thoughts, you just try and pull them out by just taking them to a long, like uh, thinking longer, you know, zooming out of that situation. Cause it's important, isn't it? So you lose one match, like you say, you think you need to change everything and stuff, but actually it's so close. It's so close. And yeah, that's, that's all you can say, isn't it? Like, you know, having a, a good understanding of yourself and your own game and everything like that, watching yourself a lot, I think it helps keep things quite together and grounded. Um, and then, listen, when bad results come as well, there's always reasons behind it. You know, it'll be very individual reasons, won't it? You know, if it's rarely where's that come from kind of thing you know there's there's reasons why so you're probably already talking about that stuff that's happening anyway so it, generally it wouldn't be a shock if you're in those situations and you know that player and person well enough you know I've worked quite individually for the last four years so you really know what's going on with someone in an yeah. academy setup I'm sure it's it is more difficult you know when you've got more more and more people but yeah, I mean, taking distance and perspective on things, it's its so important. But I think you, you say that there's, I guess there's there's positives and negatives of working one-on-one -on -one with a player oh, and yeah. also, and, and there's positives and negatives of working in an academy where there's a few players. And, and, and I think the one that fascinates me with someone like you, Smevy, is in a role that you've had working with a high-profile player when you worked with Joe you know, 2019 semi-finalist of, of the French Open, you know, we're talking real business end of, of the sport here, you know, and whereas when you work with a few players and it's not quite going right and you're okay to kind of move on because it doesn't necessarily affect your income. It doesn't. Right. So, so, so the feeling of intensity, how was that intensity of working, with someone who's pushing to win grand slams. Yeah. It was just eye opening in the terms of like the depths you, you kind of like go to, you know, when it's, when it is the end of slams, how much it, it is unbelievable. You know, it's not how much energy and energy regulation that player needs is it, it was really good and really eye-opening and just to see how difficult and long those weeks are because we were looking the French came a bit quick in terms of it was a bit like unexpected but then you know like Wimbledon just after it she made quarters and it was a bit more expected you know like she was playing well in practice like and then you kind of like feel the expectations brewing a little bit and then it's amazing like yeah how 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 much mental strength you need in like to get through and like to not use all your energy on one match. So it's, it's, you know, it's unbelievably hard to go on and to grand slam match and think, I don't, 
I can't use all my energy here because I need it for the next round. But in, so it's to kind of like let things, it's like a meditation, kind of like let things come, let things go when you're on the match. That, yeah, I mean, it was an unbelievable experience in, in that year for sure. And how do you now go from Roland Garros semi-finals? And, and it's like drinking a nice bottle of wine, isn't it? You know, you have a really nice bottle of wine. It's not easy to now go and drink a bottle from Aldi. You know, you, you know, like you, so, so, so Roland Garros. So you just called Aidy McHugh a bottle of Aldi wine. <laughs> sorry, 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 Tough Aidy. That, Aidy. <laughs> sorry, man. I, it was, it was more aimed at the tournaments than the players. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't <laughs> know, so, sorry, <laughs> so, so Roland, Roland Garros. <laughs> To, but you to, know a 15, it, you... to a 15k in Tunisia as an example you know how how does that work as a coach or is that just part of what you know what is? it is mate coaching is coaching yeah honestly it is it doesn't matter it honestly doesn't matter does it yeah like you know the hotels are a bit nicer and all that stuff but apart from that you're in it with that player and you're just trying to get them better and it and like you know for Joe it was trying to get her to win grand slams and then Fadies, like you know, the step by step level that he's at, it's it honestly, it has not really changed at all. It's maybe slightly more, no, not more interesting because it's different, but you know, I feel like there's because he's maybe younger and a bit more of his development is going on, there is more facets to the stuff that's going on, so it's quite interesting in that you have to, you know, there's a bit more development. Whereas Joe, when I started working with her, she was already an unbelievable player that. Had, like she dropped a little bit, but the level was obviously there and it was yeah. just like enriching small, tiny, tiny bits that helped to kind of like get back up there a little bit for that year. Um, but yeah, it's the same, mate. Yeah. If you love it, you love it, don't you? Yeah. Well, there's two, there's two moments for me because it's, and again, it's that cheesy saying, but it's, uh, I don't have a better way of saying it right now, but is, is, is the, the journey and the destination you know, and I yeah. think I think when people are younger and parents, coaches, players, they're fixated on the destination. And yeah. once I get there, it's all gonna be all right. Everything's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like <laughs> so it's true. all gonna and, yeah. and there's, there's two moments that I really had that have, have, have taught me that that's not the case. One as a player, I remember winning my my first and only singles futures title in India, coming through qualifying you know, brutal conditions, massive matches, same with the, and won the doubles the same week. And then I went out to an Indian restaurant on my own that night, sat nice. there thinking, this is crap. The food or <laughs> just the, 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 the feeling. I didn't, right, I, it right. didn't, it didn't give me, it didn't give me the satisfaction that I'd thought. I thought once yeah, I start winning yeah, futures, yeah. everything's yeah. going to be sorted. But yeah. it didn't. And then the, then the second one was when I was with Evan Hoyt. And yes, mixed doubles, but mixed doubles at Wimbledon came out the blue. Didn't even think he was going to be playing Wimbledon that year. He'd lost in qualies. And all of a sudden, a few days later, he's, you know, the, him and Eden Silva have won these matches. Quarterfinals at Wimbledon, amazing experience, a Wimbledon run, you know, yeah. all of these type of things. And that night going out for a meal, the stress was on finding flights to fly to America, 
24 hours later yeah, to, yeah, to go yeah. and play singles and challenger. And it, and it was just like the, just the evolution of the sport just continues. Yeah. It just goes, nothing changed. The experiences and memories are amazing. They'll last forever, but it doesn't, it doesn't change where you're at. So I guess my message to the listeners and to any players, coaches out there, you better enjoy it. You know, yeah. you, whatever level you're doing at it, you know, yeah. you better you better enjoy the daily grind. You better enjoy the journey because it's not like it's magically going to turn around no. when you get. And it's your life, days. you know, it's your life. You So you, you, you're living your life right now. So yeah. if you're not in, trying to enjoy, I'm not saying it's easy, you know, like yeah. for everyone, but like that's what you should be trying to aim for. Just enjoying the the winning, the losing, the training, and then just everything that comes with it isn't it ash barty gets that right honestly like how good were the two kind of like winners you know you listen to like barty and nadal and the way they speak i mean you couldn't ask for two better kind of like perspective on things could you the way like rafa talks about like the 20 21 slams and like you know he wants it and he's not afraid to say it but at the same time he knows that that's not going to make him happy in life and like Ash as well, it's the perfect example of it doesn't need to be like life, you know, that is like everything is about tennis. Yes, you, there's some there's some unavoidable things that you have to do at high-level sport and you have to go to some dark places, you know, in terms of training and like everything like that and like digging out things that, you know, you have to do that. But at the same time, if it ends up not working for you, it doesn't mean you're a piece of rubbish as well yeah. you just you're, you're still you you know when and did you when important. did you learn that um i, I don't think I, I definitely not when i was playing you know i tried to i really like i was traveling with ed cory a lot just before and it was definitely my favorite time yeah he would have been you know, a great he, person he to travel was with. so good yeah. amazing you know like he was in like into different a different kind of like psychology books than I was reading and then I got into them as well. And then, you know, I was reading them and they were having effects on me for a short period of time because it was kind of like my conscious thinking was on that. But what had happened, it wasn't part of my unconscious yet. I wasn't like my natural state wasn't what I was thinking yet. I still had a long way to go of like training. And then I got into a lot of meditation and like, you know, a lot of daily work because I realized that this is not tennis. It's, making me feel like this is just me as a person. And I think definitely after I stopped, maybe like two or three years after I stopped playing, I felt a bit calmer within myself, but it takes a long, long time that, and you, it's difficult, difficult to explain that to people because different people also, you know, some people won't need that. There'll be a more of an optimistic kind of an outlook on life and they'll find it quite easy, like the day to day. And some people will be on the pessimistic, side the cynical side and they have to do more work you know on themselves to be in a better place and you know that's just what you have to do isn't it if you're well not what you have to do but it can make life better for sure and would you have would you have listened i guess if i'm taking taking you back to being well we can take you any age 16 18 20 22 if someone tried 
to say, right, listen to this Ash Barty video, listen to this Rafael Nadal video. You know, yeah. these are the, this is the way we need to change the way that you're thinking. Would, would you, would you have listened or do you, you know, think the players, ha- they have to be in that headspace to be ready? Listen, I think, I think they probably do listen, Dan, but it, but there's no such thing as epiphanies in my opinion. Like if epiphany that's not acted on, it, it means nothing. It might last for a week, but yeah. the reality is that kind of stuff, it needs a lot of training. And that's why I don't think it's fair to put on someone. Oh, look at what they're doing because it's not part of it. It's not human. To be able to just have your like internal subconscious, you know, feelings is like that. So you have to somehow stumble on it and then work on it. And it takes the time it takes for your like internal system to change. And like, you know, so if a difficult situation comes up, instead of like the threat level going up, you're actually in a calm state because you know you've worked on it and your your response is more of a calm. it takes time so it's not fair on someone to just say oh listen to what they're saying and then and then not follow it up afterwards it's a daily thing for for it to to make any difference you know so so with that in mind if you were to give your 18 year old self one piece of advice what would it be i think patience with certain things you know I think I've, I was on the right track a few times but I was impatient and didn't stick with it because either it, it came it like it had a good effect so I stopped doing it and then it went which is normal you know whereas patient like find the thing that made sense to me and then be patient with it and keep working at it for a longer period of time I think could have helped me to be honest because I feel like I, stum- I tried hard, man. Like I honestly tried hard and I probably stumbled onto a lot of things, but I don't think I was patient, or patient enough to stick with a few things that probably would have helped me as a player, you know? Um, that's what I'd say. And would you view your, your playing career as successful? I mean, no, because, you know, we all have aspirations. The top, for me, the, you know, not successful because I feel like I give it, I honestly, everything I knew I tried, but I just, you don't know what you don't know. That's the thing. So I'd say I've got zero regrets about my career. I wish I would have like known or like there's things, there's a 50 things, you know, I feel like I know now that maybe could have helped, but that that's the way it is. So I'd say in terms of results, everyone, well, a lot of people want to get to top 100, don't they, ultimately? So in terms of results, I'd say, no, I was a bit, you know, disappointed. But in terms of how I went about it, I'm more than happy. Like, more than happy with how I went about it. Do you feel as if you maxed out on tennis level? Um, I think I could play high-level tennis. You know, like when I was in a good... The, the thing that I never learned as a player was, like, how to be relaxed in my body when my mind wasn't so relaxed because I was quite, you know, I was working hard mentally, but you don't find yourself in great spots and it was very connected. So like my tension in my hand was so high that it was impossible to play. So only when I was mentally in such a good place could I put my level out where now I don't believe that. I think you can really train the hand relaxation and the arm. So even when you're tight or you're not in a, you can be loose, which can like keep your level more of a kind of like, you know, more consistent. Cause that's what I struggled with. 
a yes. consistency. And then I got injured quite a bit, which is you no know, surprise if I'm so tense on the court. Yes. But then I struggled to find my level when I came back after injuries because I was so tense, you know. Whereas now, I honestly feel like I can hit my forehand as well, you know, after like two or three days as when I did then because it's just... But, but again, you don't know what you don't know, do you? Like, yeah. And, and that's the thing. So I, I got to like 2.30 or whatever it was in quite a short space of time because I got injured and I got to 2.30. I went on this like amazing run, like you said, but then I like pretty much got injured and then the tension came back and then and then you get injured and you don't play for a bit. So I didn't have the holistic, like the whole yep. package together enough because it's about putting together good years, good two years, isn't it? In tennis, not just one week. To, you know, like it that doesn't do anything for you. So, mm-hmm. as a tennis player, you've got to figure out a way to go for years or a year. You know, like yeah. that's how you've got to be looking. And I think I never figured that out. Yeah, building that compound, isn't it? Compounding those those habits daily, 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 weekly, yeah. weekly, weekly, monthly. Dum dum, and before you know it, there's a there's a completely different different person, different player there. And yeah. that goes back into your point around patience because yeah, it, 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 it's. We know it. We know it in our sport. It takes time, but people don't have patience and people don't have patience with their coach. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. People don't have patience with who they're funding, you know? So, so it's very contradictory to what we actually all know. We all yeah. know that if you know, yeah. do the, the right things day in, day out over, over a long period of time, that is where you're going to see your big gains. Yeah. Yet, the kind the sport in lots of ways is is set up against that for sure mate it's a, it's a difficult one but i mean all sports seem to be like that don't they football sacking the man you know it's just instant gratification we all want this idea and we oh yeah you know you build towards things but we don't follow it that no. much so it's a bit contradictory isn't it um it is. for sure my last couple of little things because you, you've been a brilliant guest maybe i think there's um yeah, there's there's just not that many people that would 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 show vulnerability and the things that they've had in their careers and learnings and 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 the fact that then you've gone on and and worked with at that time one of one of the best female players in the world and now with such humility, you know, doing it now with the with the next generation as well. But a bigger picture question on the sport of tennis. You touched on ball speed. Being, uh, being really noticeably different from when you played. Are there any other changes and trends that you see happening? And is there anything then, the second part of that question, is there anything then that you think will just always forever be in our sport that's not going to change? Um, with ball speed, it's like the athleticism, but the, the ball speed comes from the athleticism. So in terms of, the way people are moving now, it is getting better and better. Like they are covering, like taller guys moving better and better is a more, it's like noticeable, isn't it? You know, yep. before it was like, yeah, they've got a big serve, the six five, six six, but you know, just get them moving, then you'll be all right. <laughs> and now right, it's Riley like, Opelka moves well. Moves well. He's seven. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And then you got Medvedev. It's just ridiculous isn't it so like the athleticism like with every sport it's 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 going to go up isn't it that that's nothing it shouldn't shock anyone because the all sports move on all the time so you know it's just what is going to be next and i think like andy 
Rafford, Djokovic, Fed, like they've obviously brought in like a new level of tennis, haven't they, in terms of what is possible, just with pure, not a, like really much of a uh, equipment change, but just in terms of a physical, like what you can do physically, like, you know, people have been watching that for years and you can you can see like they're covering, like where they're touching the ball is getting wider and wider and like they're comfortable touching it wider and wider. I mean, that's obviously the noticeable change, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a good answer that you give on on the physicality, and I think it, it leads to so many other things. So the 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 only other thing I'd love your opinion on is, it, I've I've had a lot of data analysts that have come on the podcast as well, yes. and they they talk a lot about, um, or certainly O'Shaughnessy has around what has never changed in the game of tennis is the percentage of points people win at the net. You know, right. he, he says it's you know 60 60 plus percent um so why don't pe- more people more, more people do it what's your take on data analytics is it something that you used as a team around joe is it is it something that you as a coach feel is a a part of the sport as i guess we're getting people are getting more physical because of the science side of the sport, you know, and the yeah. training that goes in. So are people going to get more analytical and smarter as tennis players now that we're starting to bring in more data analytics? Um, yeah, I mean, I use it. I think like as a coach, you'd use any resource, wouldn't you, to try and help your players. Simple as that. I mean, for me, when it comes to the data stuff, it's as simple as this. The data is the cherry on the top. Like it's it's as simple as that. With if if you're not doing the foundations of all like the application and everything like that, the data it, honestly for me it means zero. So I'd only start really thinking about data when you feel like the player is doing apps like you know really really in it, and you're looking for those like the gains in different areas in development, seeing how they're like matching up um as they go up the levels what is the percentage right behind foot you know all that stuff but if someone's not putting it in i, I wouldn't even go close to it it's a pet peeve of mine to a certain extent you know when people are using it or want to use it when certain things are not even close to being done i'm like what are you even worried about this for right now yeah. you know but when it is then I'll, i'm all over it yeah I, I do i do like it personally I think it's a really, really good source. And obviously we're very lucky. The two players that I've worked with have been at the NTC and they've got really good like depth and you can do projects with them and everything like that. So, which I know not everyone's lucky enough to have. So I feel lucky in terms of like, you can use them in that sense, yeah. which has been, obviously you learn a lot yourself about the game and stuff like that. So yeah, I've been lucky to use it. But like I said, I mean, <laughs> if the player's not putting the work in, it stops. Like, no, I don't want to go near it. Our, on our match report at, at, at the Soto Tennis Academy, we the first question on the match report is, did you do everything in your control today before and during the match? And if the answer to that's no, we'll see you next week. Yeah. If the answer to that's yes, then, then start to feed back on your tennis game. And that, for me, came came from the point of I was sick of people telling me that they served badly. Right, yeah. <laughs> and they yeah, and, and, and they weren't stop given the, yeah, they weren't yeah. given the best. You yeah, know, yeah. my forehand was so bad today. No. 
Yeah, he turned yeah. up five minutes before the match. Right. He didn't want, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. so so I'm all for that. Get the pillars, get the pillars right. And then once you've got the pillars right, then you can start moving into, into, the, into the small detail. Yeah. My last question before we go to quick fire, Dan. What's the future for Dan Smethurst? <laughs> He's a millionaire, mate. He's so yeah. happy. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does money make you happy, Dan? No, it doesn't either. <laughs> um, you know what, Dan? I'm not 100% sure because you know what this job is like. Um, I'm really happy to do it now. I've not got any kids and stuff like that, but it's very, very taxing in terms of the amount of travel you have to do. You know, if you want to coach at like that kind of level, there's no, no two ways about it. You have to be able to be there and travel. So, would I be able to do that forever? I don't think so. So I guess other long-term, other avenues and being able to hopefully work in high performance and find a way to be useful to people without as much travel would probably be the, uh, the direction I'd end up liking to be in. But I'm very, very happy doing this now while I don't have the family needs, should we say. Well, good luck with it all. You know, you're you're obviously doing a doing a great job, mate. I I hear I hear nothing but good things about you, um, apart from your football team choice. Yeah. Um, but but I did. I I would have. You know, you're you're a one I would have put a lot of money on being a being a tennis coach. I think there's certain players that you see around around the circuit that you can you can see that. They're, they're almost made for it, you know, and I right. think I, I think that was something I noticed with you quite quite early, you know, so so well done on everything that you're doing. Um, but all of that chat was really just building up to this big moment of the quick fire round. So you, right. you, you're ready to you're ready to rock. Yeah, I'm ready to go. What does control the controllables mean to you? It means being able to separate what is controllable and what is not like knowing the difference when, once you know the difference, then you can start to put energy on the things that you can control and then you can hopefully get better. Serve or return? Serve. Favorite grand slam? Wimbledon. Forehand or backhand? Forehand. Medical time out or not? Yeah. Keep Nigel in the job for a couple more years. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is Dan's dad who is, is a physio and we haven't actually spoke that much about your dad who, I mean, again, you know, any, any British tennis player will have fond memories of your dad. And I love your dad to bits, Yeah, but actually one, one of the things with your dad, he was quite negative about tennis and British tennis when I spoke to him. And is that something that played with you as well? Do you think? Well, afterwards or during no, or... when you were playing, because when I would speak to your dad and we'd have great crack and, you know, yeah. he, he, everyone on the two, on the, on the, the future circuit would love him the bits, but he was definitely a bit like, Oh, bloody British tennis. Bro. Yeah. You know, he was, he was it, that way inclined a little bit with uh, that. No, you, know, you know what? I don't think it did because like, I feel like, like I said before being in it, I really felt like, people were working so hard to try and help me. Yeah. I felt like it wasn't, it didn't work in the right direction in terms of the, the connection between everything didn't work, but I could feel them on a day-to-day -day basis. They were trying to help me. So like when I, when he talked to me like that, I'd be like, well, this person's definitely trying to help me. 
But like when I take distance from the situation, I realize that yeah, things could have been done a lot better. Maybe you guys could see that with a bit more experience than me at the time that things had to connect, not just, you know, wanting to do well. It's like, no, but it's got to make sense and mesh together well. So no, I don't think it had a, had an impact on me, to be honest. But a big well done, Nigel. You've been a you've been a soldier for all British yeah, players yeah, yeah. over the years. He's done a he's done an amazing job. A let or no let? I'd say let unless unless you tighten every single net as tight as the ones in the US, then then I'm going to say net. Uh, no let. ATP Cup or Davis Cup? Davis Cup. A topical question. Who is the male goat? Who is the male goat? Rog. I, I can't let that go. Why? You know, are we statistically, statistically, he's been overtaken. Is it your question or my question? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need explanations here. I don't know. I just love, I mean, it's just, it's just who your heart's with, isn't it? That's the only reason I say it. I just, the way he plays and everything like that, he's always, I've always rooted for him. That's why. Yeah, so and, my, and I my have. Yeah. He's, my, he's mine as well. I'm not it, staying statistically, but just my goal. He's my goal. He's going to end up as the the third, or not in, in in pretty the next couple of years. You know, it's amazing the career he's had, and he's going to be the third highest winning Grand Slam male male player. It's it's completely madness. You know what an era we've been in. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, moving on, hard courts or clay courts? A hard. And what's one rule change you would have in tennis? You asked this one a bit, so I did have a think about this. And there's not, I, I, there's not much I would change. The only thing I thought of was, would it be interesting? I don't like coaching, the idea of coaching on a court, to be honest. But say, like, would the players have a little bit of stats on the court with them that they could themselves check out? And would that make any difference um, obviously that would only be done on like the main tour but you know would that make any difference or would that be interesting and everything like that that was the only thing because I kind of I like it I like where we're at when you were with Joel on that point what was the rules on coaching on the women's tour you could coach in the WTAs on, in the stands no on court because so, you can do it in the stands now I think yes so you so you were walking uh, and and so were you walking on the court? When no, we I, didn't I, do it. Oh, really? We didn't do it because it was like part of the whole, you know, the philosophy between like, so she was obviously her like main coach when I came on was Dmitry Zavilov, who yeah. was an amazing coach um, and her. And then the whole thought process behind like the players starting to feel what she's doing a little bit. So you need to enrich them and enrich her kind of like understanding of what she needed to do in different situations. And then ultimately, you know, the goal was to try and win a Grand Slam. You can't do it in a Grand Slam. So what's the point in relying on it? And then when it comes to a Grand Slam, asking her to be able to figure things out when she's not been doing it, you know, when we've been on court, it doesn't, it didn't really make sense. And, you know, some people were saying, oh, you build the confidence if she wins some more matches. And I think short term, yeah, you can win maybe one match. I don't think it makes that much difference, but like you can win one or two matches maybe. But in the long term, you're probably losing matches because you're kind of like not open to the situation and what is going on and it closes you off and you rely on that 
kind of like information coming that you like they might even be wrong. I might come on and say something is wrong anyway. So like, you're the one on the court feeling. We all know as a player, you're the one feeling it. So we never did it. I just love how developmental that is for someone who's like top 10 in the world. You know, yeah. I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's, it's such a great answer for, for people again to hear, you know, this whole, you know, we get so caught up with our young, young players and it's like someone top 10 in the world is still thinking, right. In order for me to get to the next step, I actually need to potentially do something that might make me a little bit worse in the short term to make me better in the long term. Brilliant. Love it. Amazing last answer. Our last question, if you've listened to the podcast, you will know who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Yeah, it should be Jo. She's she, she's really interesting, I think, like to talk to about tennis and very well spoken. And she can, I think she, I think you two would have a great one to be honest. I'm in touch with her via her agent. Okay. And things have gone a little bit quiet. So um, a little bit of, I mean, it has been a busy time. She's just retired. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine she's had a lot on her plate. She's just got married. Australian Open has happened where I would imagine there's been a few media things. So you now have the baton to push again because it will be amazing to have Joe Conter on. Dan Smever, yeah. she's been an absolute star. Thank you. Thank good you luck. so much for having me. Again, amazing work. These are really, really good. I know everyone loves listening. So well done. It's been brilliant. Top man. Well, here we are again at the end of another fantastic episode. And episode number 151, you might think that I would get bored doing these conversations, you know, are we talking about the same things? But it just never ceases to amaze me how everyone has a different take and it just, it remains fresh. It remains like it's the first podcast that I'm doing. Now, I don't know if you think that, Vicky, when you're editing, because obviously you're editing a lot of different content. Does it stay fresh for you? Well, I've only been editing since, what, episode 92, so I've got a few more to catch up on. <laughs> but no, I love each and every guest. Every single guest we have had on has um, offered at least one amazing takeaway. At least one, every time. May I apologise at this point for the editing in the first 90? <laughs> the quality <laughs> has significantly gone up. Uh, it's been great, great having you on board. And 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 I think, you know, you yourself, Vicky, you... You played tennis when you were younger. You know, Dan Dan talks about at age 13, he nearly stopped playing with the pressure. You you were playing as a junior. Is that something you can relate to? You know, I would imagine certainly lots of my friends stopped at a relatively early age. I would imagine lots of friends in your era did as well. So what is it that we, even Dan Smethurst, who's gone on and achieved what he's done, get everyone seems to get to this point of, is it worth me doing? Why am I doing this? Is there too much pressure on me? What do you think that is? Oh, what a question. I mean, if I, I wish I did have the ultimate answer to that. I think it's loads of different reasons. And I think we see it a lot more with the girls. Certainly when I was playing, um, a lot of the girls who were awesome at under 10, under 12 were dropping off. But even the boys actually, I'm from Warwickshire, we had a really strong tennis county back in the day. And and we had two of the strongest in the country who by 15, 16 had stopped playing completely. Um, I mean, we talk about it a lot on the podcast about keeping it fun 
for juniors and Dan mentioned it in the episode you know less focus on winning or losing more on the process more on focus on enjoying the journey you know tennis is such a fun sport and somewhere along the lines 13 14 15 it does start getting so serious and combine that with teenage years and pressures and I think even more so now with all all the kids on social media everything is so public so I think that also adds even more pressure to when we were playing but I loved what you said actually about the car journey about how how as parents how do you make the car journey fun um, for your child or a child that you coach after a really difficult match whether that's yeah behavior um, performance whatever it is how how do we get to the point with our juniors that they can go and play a match and whether they win whether they lose whether they have a nightmare whether they play a blinder they have that consistent journey home regardless of the outcome it's it's a one actually that us as us as tennis parents i think are being challenged on now because i'd love to sit here on my high horse as director of soto tennis academy and say this is what you should do and this is how you do it and i definitely used to find it quite easy as a coach if i'm honest i think because yes there's emotion attached but there is more objectiveness when you're a coach and you can see the bigger picture and you you're probably not judging the player as much uh, on 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 how they behave or how they are you know and i think you can take some things with a pinch of salt and then set that environment the right way but i've definitely been challenged with with our boy you know and i think you just know his nuances you know that he should have been in bed the night before where he was playing on the xbox or you know that he was being a little bit of a nightmare at home the day before you be other other couple of hours before you go to the tournament and 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 it's really hard because when you feel those strong emotions and there's something that you want to say i think as a parent you just want to offload that now by offloading that it probably makes us as parents feel better <laughs> However, to a to an eight year old, nine year old, ten year old, fourteen year old, it just isn't gonna make them feel better. And oh, you know, I I did this on the weekend. Our I felt awful. Our eight year old was playing her second ever little minis tournament. She's just started loving tennis in the last few months, and she was bouncing around the court. And I walked up just as she was finishing her first little match, just points to ten, and um loving it came off just super happy um really enjoyed it no mention of the score she went on for a second one and i watched it all the way through and she came off that one. Oh, i lost that one i don't know why because i lost <laughs> I, I went i beat him the last time i played and i watched it the whole way through and i my instant reply was oh well you know why you lost that because you weren't following through on the forehand remember when ollie was talking to you about his her coach talking to you about following through and i went straight to like what I saw and how she could have played better. And her little face was just crushed. And the minute it came out my mouth, I was like, what have I just done? Instead of going, oh, but you you know, you, you were scoring really well today. You look like you were enjoying it so much or saying anything, anything other than what I said. I just felt, God, I, I think sometimes it's worse if you know the sport. <laughs> it probably would have been better in that moment had I not been focusing on yeah, what how she was playing. But just let her enjoy the whole day. And it's keeping that fun going because we know it. 
But even by the time she's 10, she's not going to be bouncing around that court, super happy to be playing, regardless of the score, even in a couple of years, if she's still playing. But you you will, and, and we've had it. Michael Joyce, one of our great guests, he talked about this. He made final of Junior Wimbledon. But he doesn't remember the matches. He doesn't, that's not his memory. That's not his experience. His experience is, is the way he felt being in England with all of his buddies from America, playing cards every night, having a great time. And we have to remember, and it's so hard, and myself and Vicky, we need to remind this, uh, remind ourselves of this with our children as well. How you make someone feels stays with them for a long, long time. And and, and at the end of a, a bad match that any of your players have, they already feel bad. <laughs> they already are going through a whole world of emotions. So once they get into the car and it's a little tin box that they can't get out of, do not make them feel even worse. You know, bite your tongue, adults. Really hard to do. But I think a brilliant bit of advice that can be taken, you know, from that is is make sure that it's a positive experience. Win, lose or draw. You know, make sure that the car ride home is is as good as it would be if the match has been won. And I said this on court today. Winning or playing well is never that far away but also losing and playing badly is never that far away. And it's trying not to catastrophize both of those feelings. You know, it's actually, okay, you're winning, you're doing great right now. However, be humble because you never know when you're going to get bitten on the backside and your level's going to drop or someone's going to take over. You're losing, no problem, keep fighting because you never know when you're going to turn that around. And I think I think it's a, it's a topic... That is a fantastic topic. I think we all need to hear it. It's certainly not been delivered in a way of, look at us, we know what we're doing and how we're talking about, because I completely empathise with every tennis parent out there. And but it's just it's, it's, it's really hard. Really hard. But just bite your tongue, put the music on, have a little sing-song. If you normally stop off and get some nice food from the petrol station or whichever, whatever you do on the way back from tournaments... Do it regardless and let's make sure that those positive experiences are there and they're not conditioned to whether a player wins or loses a match. And to jump ahead to the other end of the conversation you had, um, talking about Dan's coaching, I love what he said, actually. Again, uh, And he said it like, well, yeah, coaching's just coaching. It doesn't matter who you're working with. You're there to help them get better. But I don't really think that is always the norm. We've certainly crossed paths with coaches who do not want to be working with certain age groups or, or don't want to be working with certain levels. I thought that was a really refreshing thing to hear him say. I thought it was lovely. And and on a personal note, I've known Dan for many years and I'm telling you right now, he has developed into a fantastic young man, you know, and I think he, he's worked hard on that. I think that, that way of looking at it, that philosophy, I think we all say that that's the case or we like to. Uh, I think the reality is our egos do get bruised. I think the reality is we all do feel like we belong in this sport a little bit more if we're working with players at a certain level or we've got experiences of taking players to certain levels. And I have I have no doubt that the majority of coaches 
can relate to that, even though we don't like we don't like to say it. We had Alistair Filmer who came on and spoke, showed his vulnerability of when he was working with Emma Raducanu and also Anton Matusevich, the bright British male player. And when he stopped working with them both, he felt he was a bit worthless. He felt he wasn't good enough. He he didn't quite know where he fitted. And and I think we've all experienced it. I, I have it. You know, I've been fortunate enough to work with lots of fantastic players. And right now I'm just an academy director, you know, and that doesn't quite have the same yeah, massage of the ego on a daily basis as as you would if your player has won X tournament and Y tournament. Uh, so I can completely relate to why people wouldn't think that, but it was massively refreshing for Dan to say that. And and listening to Dan, he's got his head screwed on. He's going to go on and have a, have a brilliant career at whatever level he works with because he is going to be a high-performing coach with whoever comes in his way. And well done to you, Dan, and thank you so much for coming onto the show. And before we go, thank you so much to those of you who voted for us in the Sports Podcast Awards. If you haven't seen, we've been nominated for Best Tennis Podcast, which is really exciting. Um, there's a leaderboard up, so we're trying not to get too competitive. But um, I think, Dan, are you checking it every day? or <laughs> Haven't checked since this morning. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you have a spare couple of minutes, we'd be so grateful if you could take time out just to register and vote for Control the Controllables. Um, yeah, it, we're just really excited to be nominated, but if we could get anywhere near winning, we'd be even we'd be even more excited. We will put the link in the show notes. Uh, Vicky was very diplomatic there. I'm telling you, vote or else. Uh, we need you badly. Uh, we are, no, it, it is an honour. There's lots of amazing tennis podcasts out there. Of course, and, and I've said this a couple of times on social media, and I mean it. You know, for me, this vote goes to those that you don't hear from. You know, we've got a fantastic group of people that are working behind the scenes. Obviously, Vicky, you hear her voice now, but the work she puts in to edit these podcasts, our amazing team at Soto Tennis that are that are bringing together show notes, that are that are getting the assets out there on social media, that are researching our guests. But those behind the scenes, they deserve it. If we can push them forward to getting the recognition that they deserve, then I'll be very happy. And the beers that I buy them on a Friday night to say thank you will mean all the more to them to be able to get that recognition. Next week, we have episode 152 with the old coach now, the ex-coach of Iga Sviontek, Piot and I will give you his surname next week because S's and Z's and K's and W's and I's and it's not easy to know the pronunciation. Uh, but You've got bad form with pronunciations. I've got very bad form with pronunciations so you can judge me next week when I have a little bit of time to practice. Piot is a brilliant guest. He is recently just started working with Shelby Rogers and brings a wealth of experience as a, as a Grand Slam winning coach. So I'm excited to bring that to you. And we're excited to be bringing lots of great guests to you over the next few weeks and months. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs> <laughs>